everybody! It's what episode 118. <laughs> Howdy, everybody! No, I'm I'm super excited because is it is almost October, and October. <clears throat> it's Febtober. Mm-hmm. Halloween. Well, that yeah, too. That yes, too. yes. Almost Ashtober. Yay! Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. Uh, yep. The most expensive time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am, before I was so rudely interrupted <laughs> by not knowing months, apparently. Apparently, this is like an every other episode thing. When I say something, I have to be interrupted about the actual calendar whether it's a day or a month i have to be corrected on it yeah it's not my fault you can't get your shit together this is patsy the calendar nerd uh <laughs> and i'm here live in castle wolfenstein not that oh my god going what if we live, do but like a throwdown thursday alive. calendar and it's like 12 months of patsy oh my his, god you know his shark you costume, cannot like. handle the sexy <laughs> wouldn't call it that. Oh, excuse me. We can see your claspers. Uh, Well, that's how you tell the difference between a male and a female shirt. I know you know. Uh, (laughs) I am here, obviously, with uh, the mistress of Merlot, the real housewife of Transylvania. Ashes von Nightmare, everyone. Hello. I'm here. Yes. (laughs) And uh, we are also, of course, because this is Castle Wolfenstein, we are joined by Johnny Wolfenstein. I'm not sure which came first. The castle of the egg. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you, I guess uh, it's my castle, so I should be here. Well, I mean, I it's don't not know. Very if, palatious, but it's it is what it is. I don't know if you're, you know, if it was already named Castle Wolfenstein for your family, or like you got this and named it Castle Wolfenstein. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good answer. The answer yes. We are also Always joined, yes. as you may have heard. Uh, she is at least one million Scoville units, ladies and gentlemen. It's Spicy Quiston. So spicy. Hello. <laughs> now, we mentioned this last week that when she found out that we were going to be covering the Crow, she got here a week early. She has been here since we finished recording our last episode, and that was a week ago. Been camping. Yep. <laughs> Skipping work, camping out at Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah, and even though she's a strict vegetarian, because she wanted to make sure she was here on time, she ate so many birds (laughs) and drank puddles of rainwater. Not crows, though. That's bad luck. Yes. She drank so many puddles of rainwater. (laughs) And then the puddles dried up because it can't rain all the time. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yep. So, um, it's so lame when he does that. It's like when your dad tries to be cool uh, and he's like, Hey, I'm being cool right now. And you're just like, no dad. It reminds me of a joke. Mm. This lady goes up to her husband and says, honey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, hi, pregnant. I'm dad. And she says, no, you're not. Oh, (laughs) that's not funny. Yikes. That's sad. That's a, that's a messy situation. Although I did hear a, a funny joke at work, I'll tell you guys off air. Um, 
Not that it's too lewd for the show, but it's just, it's, I'll tell you off air. So, as we mentioned, we are going to be discussing today Eric Draven from The Crow, which, uh, you know, again, this is one of those things that we've talked about in the past where people are like, ooh, Deadpool, the first rated R comic, uh, comic book movie. But it's like, you know, you have The Crow that came out in 1994. I'm trying to be helpful. Stop laughing at me. Oh my God, you're so awkward. <laughs> no, I'm just trying. <laughs> Wolfie needed to adjourn to the next room. Uh, despite his delightful enchanting musk, uh, he thought he needed to change his shirt. And I was like, no, you have an enchanting musk. But he wanted to change his shirt because he got here right from the gym. But... Uh, yeah, The Crow was one of the first rated R comic book adaptations. Uh, I think the first one really is The Punisher from 1989 with Dolph Lundgren. But The Crow certainly preceded and predated uh, Deadpool. Actually, I think Deadpool was only a character for a couple of years at that point. He had just been created by Rob Liefeld. But we're not talking about Deadpool today. We are talking about Eric Draven from both the comic and the... Uh, the 1994 film starring Brandon Lee and Ernie Hudson. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of compare and contrast between the comic book character and the the movie character because I think it's important to do that. If you've never read the comic and you're not overly familiar, which I was not, um, it's definitely things got changed but they got changed i think in a good way because a lot of time people are like oh this isn't exactly faithful to the comic so i am i'm going to boycott miramax but uh in this case i think the changes were pretty good and ashes i know you you uh are aware of some of the changes that got made for storytelling purposes mm-hmm. uh and i want to thank the fine folks over at cinefix for doing their what's the difference we've mentioned them on the show before and uh it's very very helpful if you're trying to compare certain characters you know from books and movies so definitely check them out they're very very good very thorough uh that's cinefix c-i-n-e-f-i-x but one of the things that often gets overlooked uh in film and can really enhance or detract from a film's quality is the soundtrack, and The Crow has a fucking awesome soundtrack. Yeah, as soon as we announced that the next character we would be covering is Eric Draven, Justin Cooper immediately jumped on Coop! Facebook and it was like, you have to talk about the soundtrack. And it was like, absolutely. I know we're not like a music show, but like, you have to talk about the soundtrack because it's so good. And it's definitely a great example of a movie, a good movie, that is made even better with some kick-ass tunes. Yeah, and we're actually, uh, as a sort of change of pace, we're going to be playing little snippets from uh, the soundtrack as our coming back from break music. Instead of our normal stuff, we're going to be using some, some sound from The Crow. But one of the things we thought we'd start off the conversation with... Uh, is some of our favorite soundtracks that we think, you know, are as integral as a character in some of these films. Like, you can't imagine the movie without them. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So, Spicy, you're the you're the guest here, and uh, we'd like you to go first. So, what's uh, just pick one? We'll we'll go around. We'll take a couple times. Couple yeah. times, yeah. A couple turns each. So, start with one and uh, explain its impact. Um, I mean, honestly, this is this is one of them. Um, this is a movie that I saw when I was growing up. Um, I know it's almost as old as I am, mm-hmm. but I saw it when I was thirteen. So, which was like two years ago. Y- yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I. I uh, saw it when I was kind of starting to get into my own music, so it kind of got me into a lot of stuff. So I think that was wasn't the first Nine Inch Nails music that I had heard, but it was the first like different Nine Inch Nails music that I had heard from different from my own albums that I had already owned, um, as well as like some different Cure music and different like. Um, I don't know, just, just, it I exposed you to a different side of the, of yeah, the stuff that you had already been listening to. Yeah. And the, a lot of stuff that like my brother and sister-in-law had been listening to that they had gotten me into and just the other, like other stuff from different albums and things like that. Um, they picked really specific songs that had a really good impact for certain scenes and I think of them when I think of the the movie still uh, and every time I watch the movie I think of them and I still think about like the first time I saw the movie so you know this is this has always been a really good soundtrack for me this this movie so. okay uh, Ashes how about you <clears throat> Um, so I'm going to jump on the 90s soundtrack uh, wave and I'm going to throw out the craft soundtrack. So that's another movie that I absolutely adore. Love it so much and for, for so many different reasons. And I feel like it was just amplified by the killer soundtrack that it has. And I feel like it, the soundtrack itself, it's just so delightfully 90s. <laughs> like it's so alternative rock and I love it and whenever I'm I listen to like certain songs like it just I, it makes me think of certain scenes from the movie and kind of brings me to a certain place so yeah I'm going to say The Craft Alright uh, I have been accused on more than one occasion of going after the low hanging fruit uh, when it comes to you know some of these ones so I'm going to knock an easy one out of the out of the way first and I'm going to go with another 90s film. doesn't have a lot of 90s music in it, uh, but I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. Mm. The soundtrack to Pulp Fiction, I cannot hear Jungle Boogie without <laughs> thinking about a Royale with cheese. You know, and it's just something that Tarantino does. You know, when I was mentioning earlier about soundtracks can be like a character and an indispensable part, and certain songs are as... You know, uh, 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 I'm losing the word I want, but the, there's iconic. The the songs are as iconic as the action going on within them. Like, I can't listen to Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you without picturing Michael Madsen dancing back and forth before he cuts off that cop's ear in Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, again, another Tarantino thing. Like, And again, another 90s thing. <clears throat> but there's just so much from 
the 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 Pulp Fiction soundtrack where the music is totally like off the wall wacky, like Statler Brothers' "Flower on the Wall," while while uh, you know right after Bruce Willis kills John Travolta and right before he runs down Marcellus Wallace, uh, uh, Ving Rhames' Marcellus Wallace character. And he's just sitting there, like, bopping to this, like, upbeat, you know, kind of country song. You know, or uh, the opening credit scene, uh, Miserloo. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation by uh, Dick Dale. You know, the the twist competition. Like, there's so many. I, like, there's not one iconic scene from that film that doesn't have like amazing music under it like you when you see this film uh, as many times as i have and i'm sure as many times as the folks listening when you're visualizing the scene you're visualizing it with that music like it's just how it is so that's going to be my first easy choice uh spicy back to you what's a, what's another one that just you can't can't picture the soundtrack without it um probably a little bit biased but american satan just, oh yeah you know but that is such a it's a it's a more recent film it's actually one that we spoke about not too long yeah. ago but it's such a good soundtrack like yes. not only do they have songs that were made specifically for this movie but it also includes a bunch of songs from some it's like recent artists, relevant artists, and it's just so good. It is. Yeah. It's good. The movie's good. I love it. The acting's great. Like, I think the acting's great. I've heard other people say other things, but... Well, fuck know. them. I they know. don't matter. I know. They don't matter, but... Hey, everybody can I, have their opinions. That's yeah. why there's chocolate and vanilla. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my second one. I, you know, I think the the soundtrack is fantastic for that one as well and it it, i think it has it's important that it has a lot of different genres of music in it as well um it's not just rock and metal and stuff there's you know there's like even country-ish style music in it there's the like bluesy softer rock there's other stuff i don't know it's really diverse but it is it's very very you know all across the the spectrum and what's important you know it's important for especially a movie like that to have a killer soundtrack because it's about a band yeah and they make music so you know in order for the movie to be any good at all you need to have really good music to back it up so not only did they create great music for this fictional band to play. I mean, granted, they were made up of real people who play real, you know, instruments and And sing and stuff. And and Samwise. Not Samwise. Samwell. Samwell Tarly. But, you know, yeah, it's it's super important that you have, you know, when, when the music is supposed to tell a story, you have to have a really good soundtrack to back Mm -hmm. it up. Yep. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that, 100%. All right. So, you're a second? 
Uh, you um, looked like I, you looked like you were searching stuff. I and you had found an something. aha moment. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't say this one first. I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. I was obsessed with this soundtrack even more. It's a guilty pleasure because, well, I don't, actually, no, it's not. I don't feel guilty about liking this movie at all. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, it's a great vampire flick, and the music is amazing. I'm talking about the soundtrack for Queen of the Damned. Mm. Jonathan oh, Davis that's true. wrote all of the music for it. That's true. There's some very And good music it is it. so industrial and so great. And then on the soundtrack, he got all of his rock star friends to sing the music that he wrote. So like Static X and Disturbed. And obviously Corn is on there. Fucking Linkin Park, Marilyn Manson, mm. Papa Roach, Orgy. Um, and then that last scene, whenever I hear this song, it's by the Kidney Thieves. It, it just reminds me of that end scene where she walks away with Lestat and like, like, like she's turned into a vampire and she's just kind of like found her happiness, like living with, you know, the rock star vampire and like, it's just, it's just so good. So good. And, you know, that movie, again, another movie that's about, you know, uh, if the music sucked, the movie itself wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't have had that same effect. You know, so yeah, it, Queen of the Damned. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I had an idea in my head, but there were a couple of ones that I, I think, because they're essentially musicals, I'm discarding them. South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Great fucking soundtrack, but they're essentially music. It's essentially a musical. Same with Rocky Horror. Mm. Same with Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and like any Disney movie, yeah, I because the they're essentially. Yeah. So for thing. my second pick, I'm going to go with a different Tim Burton movie because this has some amazing fucking music. Uh, Beetlejuice. Ooh. I mean, yes. That Danny Elfman scores. Danny Elfman at the beginning, yeah. like that. The Deo. Mm. I don't know the exact name of that song. That might not even be it. But even the song at the end where she's floating in Jump a minute. Jump in the line. Rock your body in time. Okay. I believe you. Like. Jump in the line. Those so- like, rock your body in time. Rock your body right. Yeah. Like, shake, shake, shake. Sonora. Shake your body right. The, the Harry Belafonte work, song. Work, work, Sonora. When they're all sitting around the table, like <laughs> the actual version of that song, like you can't, you can't, without those scenes, you know, without that music, I don't think the movie is as, I mean, Michael Keaton's amazing, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, they're all great, but you take that stuff out. Right, well, you just take out the, the score itself, the music that Danny Elfman wrote and conducted, like, it loses that effect. Yes. So, I think one more each, and then we'll get into our discussion. Sure, why not? All right. What do you got, Spicy? I'm going to go with a different uh, movie genre and say Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. It's That's definitely got a good... Yeah. Yeah, you can't really oh. think of like any of those songs without thinking of that movie, really. Yeah, like the the parade scene. Yeah, that and you know the um, the uh, museum montage scene. Yeah, and the, uh, I don't know the names of a lot of 
It's fine. The people know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And that's the point of having a great the, him soundtrack. like racing home to beat his dad, like to you know show him that he's been home sick all day. Yeah. That, that smells scene, good. Dinner's ready. Yeah. That scene and that just all those just yeah. That's yeah. I mean and. Tarantino does that like I don't know what the name of this fucking song is but like when Everybody I hear it, it I think of this yeah right so what do you got the breakfast club mm. breakfast club sandwich uh. <laughs> like you cannot hear simple minds don't you forget no, about me and not think of Judd Nelson just thrusting his fist yes. into the air. Freeze like, frame. <laughs> he got the girl. It was, you know, what could have been the crappiest day turned out to be like the best day ever. Everyone learned something. Sincerely, the Breakfast Club. Like, the, yeah. <laughs> yes. End of story. Yes. Breakfast Club. All right. So <clears throat> I had three of them that. I don't consider the the soundtracks themselves to be great, but they have iconic moments. Uh, The first one is a movie I grew up watching, uh, The Warriors. Mm. That soundtrack, even though a lot of it's just like guitar and instrumental. And Barry DeVorzen does an amazing job, even though he reuses a lot, like the opening title scene where they're showing all the different gangs converging onto the meeting place is essentially the same as the the chase song from the baseball fury scene mm-hmm. but then the interludes with Lynn Thigpen especially at the very end when it's like i guess the only thing we can do is play you a song and like the opening to in the city starts so it's like oh fucking awesome like so that's one mm-hmm. Shaun of the dead Oh. Because there's so many like yeah. zombie themed, like the Boston Bruins goal horn song, the un- less techno version plays while he's on the bus. Zombie Nation, Zombie yes. Nation. Um, you know, there's some stuff by Goblin from the original Dawn of the Dead soundtrack. Um, uh, some stuff by the Specials, like. Oh my god! And then Queen. Yeah, the Don't Stop Me Now in the bar. And then for my last one, again, it's not so much the soundtrack. It's one specific song that you can never hear the song and not think about. Like, you can never hear You Could Be Mine without seeing fucking Edward Furlong zipping around on his goddamn little dirt bike while the Terminator's looking for him and trying to find him on that bridge. Like, so I got to say Terminator 2 for that song specifically. And if you've ever seen the music video for that song, the whole video is like intercut between the band performing and the T-800 being put together in a factory, Hmm. getting like all his like iconic leather and shotgun and like finally making it to the concert and like seeing them and like you see like the Terminator vision and it's like, you know, like going through all like the different stats and like weird shit that you see on the Terminator vision and then it just says conclusion waste of ammo and he mm. just like turns around and leaves <laughs> it's awesome uh i think i've only seen that once or twice but i remember that um so for me that's that's what i would go with um so i think with can i can i do three real quick yeah absolutely all right so i'm trying to think of different 
different styles of music. And so ones that come to mind are, are films that you guys had mentioned that the movie would not be the same without. And the first one that comes to mind is Train Spotting. Oh, yes. Where Lust for Life, like that is associated with that movie. And that's that the the soundtrack itself was was amazing with featuring a lot of alternative bands mm-hmm. and a lot of sort of new wave stuff so that was that's a f- phenomenal one another one which is a different style of music which is sort of a a, a mix of hip hop and metal was judgment night yeah with dennis leary yes yeah and that was that's that was sort of like at the like anthrax had had done their their crossover with the public enemy and this basically was an extension of that it was a metal band and and a hip hop artist teaming up on every single song and it's amazing it's it's an incredible album so definitely even if you've never seen the movie judgment nights it's a fine movie but i think the soundtrack probably is 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 better is than the movie is that where we got the run dmc aerosmith collaboration no no that, that was prior okay i yep. wasn't sure but i Speaking of Judgment Night, real quick, I watched that with my same friend, Justin, that we watched The Crow together. We watched a lot of these 90s movies, like, mm-hmm. hanging out at his house. So we watched Judgment Night shortly before we watched The Crow. We might have even watched it the same day. Mm-hmm. What's your third one, Wolfie? Uh, the other one, it, it's a toss-up between these two. They both kind of came to mind, but I'm going to go I'll go with Hackers. Okay. Because Ooh. that did for electronic music, like the height of Prodigy, and yes. like it did a lot for that style of music. And they ended up releasing like a couple, a couple different soundtracks. There was like, like, like a second one that they released with songs that weren't in it, but just sort of in that vein. So it was like Prodigy, Orbital, The Orb, like things like that. And, you know, at the time in the mid 90s, I think it was, or late 90s, that was sort of a, a big, a big soundtrack f- for that era. The other one I was going to mention real quick, I'll just mention as sort of an honorable mention, would be Drive, which had a phenomenal soundtrack and also fit very well with, with kind of what you saw on screen. And that introduced me to uh, Kavinsky, the song Night Call, and uh, just just a really well-utilized uh, assemblage of music for, for that film as well. Excellent. And one I thought, because we, we talked about it off air, I thought we were going to mention Baby Driver. Yeah, so, yeah, we mentioned Baby Driver as a recent one. Um, Rob Zombie films tend to yeah. have yeah. really good soundtrack. And one that, um, I can't believe I didn't mention Star this. Star Wars! American Hustle. Ooh, yeah, that was a, a good really soundtrack. really great soundtrack, you know, for being a, a movie set in the 70s. Hmm. Um, any soundtrack that features an ELO song is, is okay in my book. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, that had a really great soundtrack. Like yeah. Donna Summers, I feel love. Ugh. See, and now because you said Donna Summer, all I can think of is, and I've never seen the movie, but whenever I hear the song "Hot Stuff," I think of the full Monty and the guys standing in line, and they're all kind of like oh dancing God. to the song. <laughs> that movie, yeah, that movie's great. So it is I've never so seen great. it. But, it is so great. Um, so, yeah, I think we could go on and on. We want to hear from you guys. Like, let yes. us know. Like, what are some of, like, do you agree with some of our choices? Do you think we're out of our mind? Do you have some that we didn't mention? Because we could do an entire goddamn show on soundtracks. I think we should. I, yeah, I was going to say, and I, I think, think we, we should. should. Soundtrack as a character or a specific well, song yeah, as a character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in some instances, it definitely is. Yeah. That's a good idea. So. Do it. 
But I think with that, uh, we're going to go ahead. We'll take a quick break. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back, and we'll start talking about Eric Draven. So stay right where you are. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you <laughs> took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action, it had suspense, it had great characters, it had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The box, right? The box and the monkeys. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Good evening, future passengers. Are you ready to sit back, relax, and join us on a ride of epic proportions through the mystical land of randomness? Am I a serial killer if I eat Lucky Charms? What would it be like if horror characters ran a gym? Who would run spin class? When a shark jumps out of the water, is it like suffocating for that split second? So join us every week for a brand new derailment with Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Derailers. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Have a great night or day, folks. soundtrack is just so good yeah well if you want to just like leave this song playing underneath like, just play the whole the whole soundtrack throughout i mean i don't see why not. Oh, yeah. but yeah like so if you are unfamiliar with the plot of this uh of this uh movie or comic uh, it essentially boils down. Where you been? <laughs> well, yeah, that's there's that because so many people were like, "Oh my god, I I can't wait for the show. This is going to be so even great." Even people who I wouldn't have, I don't know. I, I know not to. Yes, I know not to judge a book by its cover. And I don't, you know, I definitely don't judge people. But you know, just people who I wouldn't have picked as a, a fan, like Saucy Sandy. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saucy, Saucy, Saucy Sandy. Sandy is apparently a huge fan of Eric Draven. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was really surprised at some of the people who were like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, you know, eagerly anticipating this discussion. And now I'm like, oh my God, I feel the pressure. <laughs> so the basic story is 
uh, a guy and his fiance are murdered the night before Halloween. And Which one year later, Devil's, Devil's Night. Night. One year later, uh, the spirit of the crow resurrects the uh, the young man in question to take vengeance on those who wronged him. And that's pretty much the best synopsis you're going to get that covers both the comic and the uh, the film because that's kind of where the similarities end. Both have the same characters. Both have very similar uh, story arcs. Uh, all the same people die. But uh, like Certain characters have different names. Certain characters are actually amalgamations of a couple of characters put together. Uh, the people who die don't die in the same order. And the main bad guy, top dollar of the of the uh, film, is just some guy. Like, he's not the head of the Detroit, you know, crime syndicate that he is in the movie. In the comic, he kind of has, like... He's like a low-level drug dealer who has a few guys that work for him. Hmm. And they even change a couple of the names. They have very colorful names. There's uh, mm-hmm. T-Bird, Tintin, uh, in the comic Tom-Tom, but wow. he is changed to Skank in the in the film to co- avoid confusion. And uh, Fun Boy. Uh, the main characters are Eric and Shelly. You stop calling Every it, time like, I I can only think of Randy Mart. Shelly! Stan! Okay. You, uh, so, you got it out of your system. So there's Shelly. There's Shelly and Eric. And in the movie, the young girl's name is uh, Sarah. Um, and they are kind of her de facto caretakers because her mother is a drug addict and really out of the picture. And she's been... Uh, she's fun boy's girlfriend. In the book, her name is something like Shana or Shara, something like that. I'm totally blanking on it. But I guess they didn't want to have too many similar-sounding names, kind of like Tintin and TomTom. They kept Tintin but got rid of TomTom, so they don't want everybody having similar names. Because when you have this many characters and you don't have a lot of time, this movie's only about an hour and a half long, you don't have enough time to kind of flesh out all the, all the backstories of the characters. So... That's that's essentially the play. Oh, and then there's Albrecht, the the cop, mm-hmm. who in the comic is Albrecht and Hook, who uh, uh, is another cop who kind of, uh, after the attack by Top Dollar's gang in the comic, stays with Eric as he sort of clings to life, but eventually dies in the... Uh, in the film, it's Shelly, because Eric has shot a bunch of times and thrown out a window. Shelly is raped and beaten and brutalized and manages to hang on for 30 hours in the hospital um, before eventually just losing her battery. Like, she just. Right, and, she that's, can't and that's important to the plot point in of the movie. The movie, yeah. Yes. See, the. Before we get too deep into it, I want to. I know Spicy K here, you talked about it a little bit, but your first reaction when you first saw this film, what did you think? Um, I watched it. I 
bought it on um, VHS at a book sale at my mom's work when I was 13 and I watched it and immediately rewound it and watched it again because I loved it so much. Um, so I remember it being like kind of just this, I don't remember where I had heard about it, like from where I'd heard about it. Um, at that time I was just like, I don't know. I, I want to say like my brother had watched it when I was younger and I was like, Oh, this seems cool. So I picked it up and, bought it and then watched it and like oh my god this is the best movie like I've ever seen so just immediately fell in love with it and became like the weird crow girl for <laughs> a while <laughs> it's very relevant in 2005 um obviously super still well I mean they kept making it. sequels to it so yeah, I guess I guess so. Well, I mean, um, like, and you can still TV like at show. Halloween go to a party. Yeah, and no, still I still see, do. Like, eight I still guys do. dress like the crow. I still dress like the crow. Still now. <laughs> yeah, but see, you're doing do it because that. it's an homage, and like. Yeah, I still do that. They made fun of it in South Park. Like, I don't want everybody like when they had Satan's sweet sixteen hundredth <laughs> birthday, and he's like, I don't want everybody dressing as the crow. <laughs> Nobody can dress as a crow because at every party there's always some asshole who dresses as a crow because chicks think it's hot, and he's trying to hook up with them. Oh my god! And then in reality, he was dressed as a crow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I just always, I just think it's such a fantastic movie, and it's so well done, and like. I don't know. It just has always been very near and dear to my heart for various reasons, I guess, mm-hmm. just because of the, you know, tragedy surrounding it. And it's a great story. It's so, I think, perfectly done. And this, you know, we, like we were talking about before the soundtrack and everything. Um, I think the, the story is heartfelt and relatable because you wouldn't want to think about like, would I do the same? But you, you would like, if you had that, the same opportunities could happen, you would do it. Yes. Oh yeah. Easy. If you could, if that happened to you, you come back from the dead, you would do it. So I would do that about people who cut me off in traffic yeah. because they don't use their blinkers. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, yeah, I guess so. that's true. I, I, I would too, but you know what I mean? But I think everybody could understand where he's coming from, even as, you know, foreign as it seems, uh, the the feelings, but it's uh, I don't know. It's they're pretty human emotions that he portrays, even being not human. Really, He's technically anymore, a zombie anymore. Like you know, so yeah. Um. Ashes, how about you? What was your first experience with The Crow? So I was also about 12 or 13 when I watched it for the first time. But this was like back in, it was either 97 or 98. So a couple of years after the movie had come out. And I think I mentioned on the show before that my parents were a little more on the conservative side. So I didn't have access to certain movies or certain shows or music or whatnot that I was maybe interested in. But I had a friend whose parents were very lenient. And this is the friend that I watched like the craft with. And we rented clueless and we rented the crow on VHS 
from the local uh, it wasn't blockbuster it was like an independently owned local small town movie rental place and I just you know being the little closeted goth girl that I was um, I just I, I fell in love with this movie it is so brutally sweet it is so bloody and so loving and it encompasses so many emotions and and not only is it so incredibly dark and it's so 90s like and i love the 90s i love the 80s i love the 90s um the 2000s i wore way too much bronzer but anyways um (laughs) (laughs) but it was just perfect Everything was just perfect. The acting was spot on. It was just everything fit. Mm -hmm. And the story that was told was so beautifully done. And there's something so charismatic and encompassing about Brandon Lee playing the Eric Draven character. You believe him. Everything that he says, every action, every move that he makes, like you believe him and it's so easy to get swept up in this role, um, watching him in this role. And I remember, you know, being a young teenager, just kind of like, I mean, A, I thought he was so dreamy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so dreamy. But, you know, at the same time, it's just like, wow, I wonder if anybody would love me that much. You know, to- I would. Aww. Yeah, but you don't. You forget our anniversary in a week and October and... Stop. Again, all right. <laughs> it is no. I'm womp, not. Womp. No, I'm not. I'm joking. It I'm. Jo- I'm not so looking far for a retort. There. I'm not looking for a retort. I'm See just that? I tried to be nice, and what I'm happened? I'm not looking for a retort. I'm, I'm just talking about how I would pain in the ass. I would be vengeful from beyond the grave, and she's like, "Well, you forgot our anniversary." Okay. Well, what I was saying was, you know. At the time, you know, 13-year-old me is sitting there watching this, you know, wondering, like, wow, you know, it, it would be amazing if somebody could love me that much. You know, somebody who, if anything unjust happened to me, that their soul would not be able to rest, that right. they would need to seek out vengeance. Like, they would not rest in peace until every person responsible was vanquished. It would be like... Right. John Wick and his puppy, but times a million. <laughs> Aww, I would puppy. kill the shit out of Alfie Allen if he ever tried to do anything. <laughs> but it was just, there's something so, and even um, we rewatched it again the other night, obviously, in so uh, preparation mm-hmm. for doing this show. And for some reason, I go lengths of time between each viewing of this movie. And I don't know why I do that. I don't. And yeah, I was just going to mention, <laughs> you mentioned that you pretty much religiously watch it at least once a year. I watch it every devil's night. That's every a single great year. tradition yeah, that, to have. That's what Tanya and I do. Yeah. That is a beautiful <laughs> tradition to have. I love that. Um, but Sorry, I'm, continue. I, I just... You, I go too long between viewings, and every time I watch it, when it ends, I'm always like, why do I do this to myself? Like, this is such a great movie, and it still holds up. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll probably touch base on the many potential remakes. Did you know Rob Zombie was going to do a remake at one point? I think I heard that. Oh, that or they had something in been, the works and I think he I was been okay signed on that. to direct it, but that 
obviously. It was like uh, The Crow 2037. Mm. All right, that I, I heard about. I don't know about, if it was yes. like a remake mm-hmm. or like an extension of The Crow it's like universe. another. It would be like another version of it, yeah. Um, hmm. But anyways, and obviously there was this, the, the more recent potential remake that would have starred Jason Momoa, which I think I could have got behind that. Um, which is obviously it's it's no more. So yeah, yeah. It was uh, going to be directed by Corin Hardy, who just did The Nun. Okay, who's a director that I, I like. He did a movie called the The Hallow. Okay, which was which was really good. And uh, I mean, it stopped and started about six times. Mm-hmm. And with different, he left the project, came back. Jason Moe was on. Tom Hiddleston was originally attached to it to oh. play. Mm-hmm. Eric I could Draven. see Tom Hiddleston Crow. There was about four or five like top name actors that were attached to it at at, at any given time. So it, it had a very troubled history, and then it just was basically pronounced dead like two or three months ago. I, I actually would have really liked to have seen it because they were going to stay a little bit more true to to the 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 comic book. You know, despite the the fact that that the ninety four was was fairly true. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about yeah. That and I do want to mention. You may even mention this. So hopefully, I'm not. I'm not. You know, jumping the gun no, here. No, no. But Alex Proyas directed it, and Alex Proyas is a, is an amazing director, and he's sort of been blackballed a little bit in Hollywood. He his last film was uh, was it the Gods of Egypt? Was that the name of it? Yeah, and that got uh, I got a lot of shit for whitewashing. Um, Nikolai Kosterwaldo and yeah, that one. yeah, oh. Gerard Butler. Yeah, but. But he's a, he's an amazing director. He followed this. He followed the crow up with Dark City, which is one of my favorite movies of all time <sighs> yeah. as well. So, just want to mention mm-hmm. uh, Alex Proyas because he's he definitely bears mentioning in, in terms of of this movie. Mm-hmm. No, I I was gonna get to that, but I'm glad you jumped on it because you said it a lot more eloquently than I could. Um, Ashes, were you? Did you have more? Um, we can talk more later. What you can mention your first time viewing? Yeah, my first, first time. Like I, I, I alluded to earlier, um, a lot of these movies, uh, there were a lot of movies in this vein, uh, you know, Judgment Night, like we, like we said, uh, The Crow, um, <clears throat> Dusk Till Dawn, uh, I watched with my friend Justin because he lived directly across the street from a video store that was open till like midnight, and I would go, I'd, we'd do sleepovers all the time. And we would be up till four in the morning watching movies that 13 and 14 year old us probably shouldn't be watching. <laughs> but we were watching them like right when they came out on, on video. Mm-hmm. So when we weren't playing Sega Genesis, uh, yeah. yeah. Again, when it was new. Sega! <laughs> so I remember nice. when we both got one for Christmas the same year. I think it was 1995. Uh, yeah, we would go over there and. I'd go over to his house, and uh, we'd just watch movies. Like we would, we would do the old "Let's see what the box art looks like." I wonder if there'll be boobs in it, <laughs> and if there are, let's. I mean, that's we were thirteen Typical and fourteen. Thir- yeah, I know. Boy, I know. like yeah. sweet. Like, I mean, I mean, we didn't care at you know in this movie. Yeah, there's. You get one boob, and it's a dead, a dead boob. boob. It's a dead boob. But you do get a live ass. Yes. So we were like, <laughs> we. I think I remember debating, like, what was better. And I was like, definitely the alive ass. Like, <laughs> but, yeah, we didn't quite understand. 
Oh, good. my husband's not a necrophiliac. That's, That's nice. Good. That's good. It's good to know. <laughs> There's far less kicking. Uh, well, if she's not dead, then she's not my type. <laughs> That's a motionless and white reference. I'm not actually a necrophiliac for people who are out there. There is a there is a great song off the Repo soundtrack. Can't get it up if the girl's breathing. That was cut from the movie. Wow. But it's Terrence Zdenich and uh, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. Yeah, like that was my first. So, Wolfie, uh, you, you told us a little interesting story uh, off air about your experience with the crow. Uh, why don't you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Well, I, th- I think I'm older than all of you guys. so <laughs> You're only a few years older than me. But I, I did see this in the theater at least three or four times. I don't recall. Uh, so, you know, came out in 94. I, how, let's see. You were yeah, so I was, it was 17, 18, depending on when, uh, when, it, when it came out. And I remember taking the bus to, you know, downtown, uh, the closest city, and and seeing it, like, pretty much just, I don't remember if it was opening day, but it was close to it. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and I, I think I saw it, I don't know if I saw it again that day, but I saw it, like, within the next few days again. And I kept taking people to go see it, you know. But like, you got to see this movie, you got to see it. And, you know, I think at the time I actually worked at a at a record store, so I had the soundtrack, like, immediately. And, yeah, I, I've... I've probably seen this movie maybe more than any other movie I've I've seen. It's I wouldn't say it's a I love it. It's definitely a favorite. It's not my favorite movie, you know, but but it's certainly up there and I've probably seen it at least, I don't know, 30 40 times. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's got a lot of rewatch value. It's got some amazing um <clears throat> uh, we've already spoken about the soundtrack, but some Awesome fucking like lines of dialogue. Yes, yes, definitely. Like, the, yeah, the you've probably heard it several times because I know you've been to uh, at least one or two Deadite shows. But yeah, uh, I in, in the Deadites I had sampled a, a bunch of lines from from the movie and used them in various Deadite songs. So nice. It said it came out May thirteenth. May thirteenth. So I was seventeen. Ninety four. So this, uh, it was shortly before your uh, your 18th birthday. It was, yeah. So one of the big, I, I want to get this out of the way first so we can just talk about the film because that's what we're all um, really familiar with, mm-hmm. is the, the way things happen in the comic, there's a lot more random dancing by Eric Draven. D- like Dancing? Yeah, he does interpretive dancing it's it i think that was replaced by the rooftop guitar playing yes in the film. Oh, okay yeah yes. so instead of him dancing it's him like he's a rock star and he's just like jamming on the guitar expressing his feelings that Got way um Got it. i didn't even think about that but that's that's a good call that's a really good call um the man who wrote it james obar um and you can really you can kind of get this this sense as you're uh, watching the film and if you read the comic. Wrote it during a really traumatic part of his life. He was very depressed. A lot of things had gone wrong for him. Um, he had lost people. And um, the crow, as a spirit of vengeance, like this manifestation, uh, in the comic he is 
absolutely unstoppable. Like, there's no, oh, I got shot and now I fell, or I got, you know, I got hurt and I'm bleeding. Like, there's none of that. It's just, I'm going to kill Tintin, I'm going to kill Funboy, I'm going to kill Tom Tom, and I'm going to kill Top Dollar, and nothing is going to stop me from doing that. Oh, I got shot a bunch of times. I don't even notice. Like, he's just this unstoppable, like, juggernaut of vengeance. And, you know, it's been interpreted as that's Obar's um, interpretation of grief. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to stop it. You just have to let the grief run its course. You know, let it let it happen because it's inevitable. And if you try to fight it, it's only going to cause you more pain. Mm-hmm. So just let it happen. So that's what the comic is like. And at the end, it's like, yep, happy ending. Everything's great. Um, you know, the young girl, Sarah in the movie, um, he's not like her protector or her guardian or anything. He's just some girl that he meets while he's the crow. Like he has no pre-existing relationship with her. So <clears throat> getting that out of the way, you know, I don't want to trivial. I'm not trying to trivialize a comic or anything, but I think the character that we see on screen is more interesting because he is more human. Right. The changes that they made to make the comic book more moviegoer friendly, to make it more cinematically pleasing. Um, I, I think they made some great adjustments. You know, the fact that they made the character of Eric Draven more human. I mean, at this point, you know, we don't. And he's called a ghost, and he's called um, he's called something else too, and I, I forget. But you know, like a demon or or something. Like people don't know what he is. He doesn't know what he right. is. All he knows is that he's not alive yeah but he's here like he eventually understands who he is because like when he first gets brought back he's just kind of like writhing in agony and almost like in every sense of the word he's a zombie just kind of like living out base impulses he goes back to his apartment he goes and relives everything that happens to him yeah and i really liked that too that everything he touched um he Saw like oh it's almost like everything t- he everything he saw holds the history. a memory yeah right. there's everything a specific holds a name memory for that. and when he touches something Tactile he can see sense like his yeah it yeah. brought his senses back to the cat it, the cat brought his yeah touching the cat brought his memory back actually it was it's called uh yeah psychometry oh, it's okay. um. I believe that's the right... It's when you touch something and you know the history of that object. Mm. Oh, yeah, because when he picks up the cat, the the people that came into the apartment that did that to them picked up the cat, too. And it scratched the shit out of him. So he saw what happened through the cat's eyes and the memories of that. When he touched certain things, those memories came back. Right, and when he touched Sarah... When he, she yeah, it's like the energy the there. Yeah, too. it's like the energy of the event that happened, like the the spiritual residue, for mm-hmm. lack of a yes. better term, was like it's yeah, it's almost like it was 
like dust or slime that you touch off of this thing and it's like I had this on my hands and now I know I understand I can see what happened through this perspective right Um, so him being able to feel pain and you know he still can't die because he's already dead so you can shoot him you can slice him you beat the shit out of him with a pipe yeah you can (laughs) you know maybe even dismember him um, you know, he's still not going to, to die, but he feels it. And that is so humanizing. And I think that that is so representative of the human condition, yeah. being able to feel that kind of pain. And the fact that all of these emotions that uh, are, are being translated into physical pain. Yeah. And, and like the metaphor of all of that is just so beautiful. And that's the thing is... You know, if you watch a film and you see this guy just going through untouchable, like, where's the drama? Where's the, like, you know, he's essentially a Terminator in the comics. It's like, yeah, you're going to shoot me and shoot me and shoot me, but nothing is going to matter. I'm still going to come for you. I'm still going to kill you. You know, we see, you know, I mean, that shootout scene that he has in uh, in Top Dollar's, like, little gathering. Mm. Yeah. He, he's getting fucked up. Well, that's the one where he died. <laughs> oh, not that one. No, no, no. The, when the, he's got all the guys around him and he's got uh, Top Dollar's got Skank with him and the girl tries to catch the crow the first time and she mm-hmm. doesn't quite do it. Okay, I thought, yeah, okay. I thought, yeah. No, I'm talking, yeah. yeah like not, not that one. The big meeting with, with the long-ass with table and he jumps and sits on the table and he goes, I'm just here for him. Right. Um. Yeah, he gets shot a bunch, and he gets stabbed a bunch, but he also fucking mows through everybody. Right. But earlier in the film, we see him, you know, it, it's and it's done without a lot of heavy-handed exposition. As he's going through his his memories, and he gets thrown out the window, he leaps and grabs onto the, the, the shattered window and rips his hands open, but he sees them heal, and he's like, what am I? Yeah. And then we see him fight... Tintin and Tintin beats the shit out of him for a while. So, gonna learn all about it. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's the um. I actually timed how long the continuous shooting in that scene goes. It's over two minutes. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great nineties action. I've wondered scene. about that, and it's over two minutes of continuous shooting. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, everybody's got a lot of ammo. Yeah, that's but a, there's a lot of guns on that. Table. I would also assume that as people die, other guys, you know, pick up other guys pick up their guns. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of guns there. But yeah, that's definitely like what you guys were saying. Like <clears throat> it's this, it's the humanization, yeah, of the character. Because like if there's no challenge, if there's no well, obstacle to overcome. Not only that, I mean, you know that this tragedy happened. You know that he's seeking vengeance, but at the same time, it it doesn't. T- Seeing him go through these emotions and feeling things, even though he is deceased, um, gives him purpose. Like, he's not just this killing machine that you feel nothing for. Mm -hmm. It gives the audience something to root for. And it gives the audience, you know, it, it makes the audience emotionally involved and invested. And it's not just that. Um... You know, we've seen, 
you know, like in the the conversation we had last week with Ashley Robinson about you know Batman. Batman's a good guy. He, everyone knows he's good, but he doesn't do anything based off of emotion. We see Eric Draven not just as this cold, unfeeling, reanimated corpse, but his interactions with Sarah. Mm-hmm. You right. know, this young girl that he loves like his own daughter. Yep. The interactions he has with Albrecht, like though, like. Right, he was able to see that. Wait, what's the first thing Albrecht. he says to him? You still have your hat on. Yeah, yeah. and he's like sitting there in like his t-shirt and uh, and boxers. He's like, you still have your hat on because you know he's got his police hat. And it's like, what the hell are you doing with your hat on? Yeah, but no, you know, he was able to see that Albrecht actually did stay by Shelley's side for the thirty hours that she was fighting for her life. And that she didn't die, <clears throat> excuse me, she didn't die alone. Yeah. She wasn't alone. So even though he couldn't be there, that she wasn't, you know, the love of his life did not die alone. And the fact that, you know, this police officer was still taking care of Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, which was Shelley's last wish, you know, uh, as she's being loaded into the ambulance, she was like, take care of her make sure that she's taken care of and and he did so the fact that this person is is good on their word and you know is a big thing for the eric draven character right and it shows that he's just not out for blood <laughs> like it doesn't matter whose blood it is you know it's it's calculated it's specific people if you were not involved he doesn't want to see you he doesn't want to talk to you but if you were involved you're gonna wish you weren't Definitely. Yeah, and you know that's what he says. You know, when, uh, you know again at the at the big meeting with with all of Top Dollar's guys when they're kind of planning their next round of mayhem. He's like, I just want him. He's like, Yeah, well, you can't have him. It's like, Well, you made your decision. Like, you know, this isn't NATO. Like, you're not like <laughs> potential allies. I'm not worried about like what's going to happen if like I cross you. You're all a bunch of fucking scumbag murderers. Like, but I'm only here for him. Like, I don't mind collateral damage. I'll avoid it if I can, but you're the one I want. And so that's, like, another key difference from the book is Top Dollar was involved with all this. And in the film, he's the guy orchestrating everything. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to have somebody as the big bad, and he was the only one without a freaking ridiculous name. Uh, I mean, it's a ridiculous name, but top dollar. It's like, okay, he's got to be the leader because he's the top dollar. Um, But he goes through and he dispatches his uh, opponents in very interesting ways. Now, one of the first ways, and I remember my friend Justin telling me, because this is one of the selling points of the film. He's like, oh, this one guy gets killed because he gets stabbed in his his organs in alphabetical order. I'm like, that sounds cool, but, like, you're kind of done after the second one. I mean, appendix, brain, well, I'm done here. (laughs) And, like, how do you determine that it was alphabetical order? And do you consider it colon or intestines? You know, like... I think you're reading a little too much. It's poetic. Appendix, brain, colon, duodenum, esophagus. Poetic. If you thought of this as a kid... uh, 
I did because I was like, parties. I was trying to think of like what that are, explains a lot. What <laughs> are the? I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> no, I hung out with Justin and we watched these movies. <laughs> I was like, what are the what what are the organs? I'm like, is there things that I'm not thinking of? I'm like, what's a esophagus? Esophagus. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> a for esophagus. esophagus. It's a for effort. A <laughs> asshole. Yeah, he was stabbed in the a asshole. A is for asshole. <laughs> He was stabbed in the asshole, and then his butt. See, there you go. That's how you could you could make that. It that, work. that is yeah. actually some sound thirteen year old logic, right? Then, yeah. Then his chest, but I mean, I know what internal organs are. Well, no, but I mean, two just, could be balls too. Oh, that's true. True. But it, it sounds more poetic if you say that. No, it does. And way. considering who delivered the line was David Patrick Kelly. Who you would recognize from not only the Warriors playing Luther, uh, also he played a character named Luther in Forty Eight Hours. So thank God he wasn't typecast. Uh, Surprised it took you this long to mention him. uh, Yeah, I was kind of getting to it (laughs) because I know you're a big fan of the Warriors. I love the Warriors. Um, He he was also in uh, John Wick. He played a crazy homeless man uh, in John Wick Two. But he's T-Bird. Uh, and you can s- kind of see, like, in addition to the depths of their depravity, because, you know, the the, in, the confrontation he uh, Eric has with t- uh, Tintin at the beginning when he's talking about murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are all doing shots. But they're doing them in a very odd way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen, would you like to elaborate on what they're doing when they're taking their shots? They're taking them with bullets. Yeah, they're swallowing bullets with their shots of whiskey. Yep. And do you remember what Tintin does? Because right before that, Fun, by, Fun Boy flipped the, the bullet up in the air and caught it and swallowed it. Mm-hmm. So needing to one-up him, you know, he just put it on his tongue and swallowed it. What did he do after that? Uh, wait, who? Uh, T-Bird. T-Bird. Oh, he burns his... His tongue with his cigar. Yeah, he put a cigar out on his tongue. Yeah. And it's like... And Tintin smacks uh, Skank's hand down and... Pussies drink last. Yeah. yeah and then they get all pissed off and there's a Mexican standoff. Tintin. Yeah. I know. And then they start yelling, fire it up. Yeah. Because yeah. they like to burn things. I mean, our introduction to T-Bird is him saying like... You know, Lake Erie once <laughs> caught on fire because all the shit that was in it. Man, I wish I could have seen that. And then they blew up an arcade. You just did John Travolta. I know. It's like, uh, hey, look at me. No. I'm T-Bird. Oh, all of his impressions Sandy. eventually go Travolta. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I wondered to myself. I haven't done a Travolta in a while. I, knew, I, knew I didn't do it last happen. episode. I knew it was going to happen. Hey, look at me. I'm Tim Drake. I knew it was going to happen. Not, not on the show, anyways. Whole life happen. is a different story. I haven't yeah. done t- a, a Travolta in a while, but uh, your, your shark impressions at the Cape were Travolta-ish. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. It is. Um, I'm having a hard time hearing you because you're off to the side there. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's it's an interesting kind of step up the ladder. T Bird, that dude gets fucked up. Oh, yeah, he does. But, I mean, like, they all deserve it, though. They do. Oh, they do. Just some more than... Some get more fucked up than others. Because I think he... <laughs> he I think Tintin gets the it the worst. 
I think stabbed multiple times. I think T Bird gets it the worst. Yeah, but th- he's not going to feel that. He just he explodes felt it for a little bit. He felt. He felt, he felt the. F- oh, when he dropped lead the, up to it. Yeah. Felt but the lead he kept up to it. Freaking out! Like I think that was the, the main thing. Was Draven was trying to instill fear yeah. into these guys. The anticipation oh, yeah. of death is sometimes worse than death itself. And you see that in a lot of these types of films. Right. And he wanted them to feel something. He wanted them to feel like, a, even if it's just a shred of the fear and pain and agony that not 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 that he felt, but that Shelley felt. Yeah, because it wasn't his pain and like he got shot a few times. Well, no, but stabbed. He, this wasn't. It was never about him. Right. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was her. Always about it was her. her. It was she? Yeah. Now that I think about it, I think I think Fun Boy probably had it the worst. Yeah, he got shot in the leg and bled out. Yeah, but it, the like ten needles in the heart. Yeah, the morphine needles in the heart, and he choked to death on his own blood. And in it's the pretty comic, rough. if I remember, it's pretty rough. In the comic, he gets his leg cut off, and he just bleeds out from that. Oh, that's that's pretty that's bad. Kind too. of anticlimactic. A little bit, yes, but uh, he was know. pretty bad. He in the like a lot. what he did beforehand. He was he was pretty bad. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Ashes, what what part of the vengeance um, do you think was? The most poetic. The end. I, yeah, the I, I don't want to spoil it because I know there might still be some people who it are was, I know. It was almost 25 years ago. I don't care. It was. Listen. No, no. I'm. I'm. No. You want to talk poet like most poetic? It's. It's the end scene. It is. It's that end scene. The you know he gets to top dollar, and. He says, I wish I could quote it, but I'm going to paraphrase. It's something along the lines of, you know, now you get to feel 30 I have hours. something for you. Yeah. I don't want it anymore. And he grabbed, because when he had been talking to Albrecht earlier, he touched Albrecht's face and all the pain that he had been carrying from the memory of sitting with Shelley for 30 hours transferred from Albrecht into Eric it's very similar to the ending of the Green Mile. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you've seen um, that, it's a very similar thing. And mm. just, you know, transferring all of that pain and that energy to the person who ultimately caused it yeah. all uh, and, and causing his, his death, he fell off the roof. And yes. It was a very tall roof and just watching him fall several stories in the rain you know just the look on his 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 face and the satisfaction that draven felt mm-hmm. you know being able to finally deliver this gift to top dollar and he completely annihilated you know the this this crime colony that top dollar had created mm-hmm. so you know in in a way he you know not only did he avenge shelley's death but he also you know shelley was killed because she was going against top dollar and 
his his men. It's not really <clears throat> clear why it's, 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 it's they're fighting it's tenant believed, eviction. Yeah, but that's a shitty that was, neighborhood. But like, why are you trying? Well, to it's believed people? that he owns all of the buildings, and one of the reasons why he lights the buildings on fire is for insurance purposes. He gets the money. So right. not only does he get to watch the city burn, but he gets, he gets to make it. But what does it matter the if edge. the building's empty or full? He clearly has no problem murdering the shit out of anyone who comes across him. Yeah. Well, we I, see that with that young girl well, at the beginning. Yeah, but and she was, you know, she sure. was. Also, her eyes. Yeah, but people also need a place to live. You know, like, I don't, I, I just. I, well, that's it, what I'm it saying. It's not goes, overly clear uh, why. That was the explanation we're given anyway. Yeah. So, But we'll it's never like. That, I guess. But. Right, but it gives motive. Right. She wanted to it live there. Mo- right. She wanted to live there. She was fight, But she wasn't just fighting for her. She was fighting for everybody else, too. So not by eliminating this big crime boss, you know, not only did he avenge her death, kill all the people who were responsible for her death, but, you know, helps her cause as well. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing I never got about it is, why was the building even still there a year later? Maybe because the police presence was too much and they only burn stuff down on Devil's Night? They, yeah, they do. That would they be... were probably going to burn it the next year. Yeah, they, only, they only burn things Devil's on Devil's Night. Night because they're also... So, the crime boss, they're also part of this like satanic ritual type that is kind of sort of like a superstition touched upon with Byling's character. Yes. Cause in the book, she, they're not, they're just people. I don't think you know, she's even in the book. The whole eyeball scene. Yeah. They're very into the occult and that's how they learn about the crow and like how they know how they can right. defeat him. Right. So certain things are done on certain days at certain times because they're symbolic. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I get you. I'm just, it's not really the point of it. The point is like she was doing something and because she was standing up for what she believed in, and it went against what this guy does, you know, right, but they what were I'm, killed. Yeah, but what I'm saying, though, is that it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone. You know, not only does he kill the people personally responsible for her death, mm-hmm. but he also wipes out the entire crime syndicate who wanted to, you know, who, who she was petitioning against. Yeah, which in theory, which, you know, you know is it does a good her thing. right, which is almost like doing her bidding, you know, almost like her last will and testament. And like she got Shelley taken care of, uh, Sarah, Sarah taken, taken care, care of. of, yes. You know, so, and the fact that this all takes place on Devil's Night over um, Halloween, you know, there's lore about the fact that. Devil's Night is the only night where the spirits can freely walk. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, lore and mythology that kind of gets touched on. You know, like the whole opening because narration with the, the crow. place yeah. over the span of, what, maybe eight hours? Not even. Not even that that long. It's dark. And it's so you... And they closed the pawn shop, so... 
And it is way past Sarah's bedtime. I am sorry. That girl needs to go to sleep. <laughs> but that was the other thing I was that totally just popped into my head. Like when you see the, his interaction with Fun Boy and Darla, which is Sarah's mom. You know, she's terrified because he's in there. You know, he's telling that like. I had heard that Jesus joke before, but he's telling that joke while he's being shot and, you know, he's doing all these terrible things to to fun boy. And she like picks up a razor and goes after him. And he's like, he stops her. He doesn't hurt her. He actually helps her because mm-hmm. he knows who she is. Yeah. Morphine is bad for you. And then he says that quote about the mother, which is so Something like mother is the word the of the name for name God for God on, on the lips of children, lips and hearts of all children. Yeah. yeah, which is just so like he's not like, hey, go take really, care of Sarah. Yeah. Right. He just but says saying this. it in that the look on her face and he's, you know, says it and then he drains the morphine from her vein. Crow magic. Chromic bird magic, um, <laughs> you know, drains the drug from her veins while forcing her to look in the mirror, right? And you know, it changes her. It, well, yeah, it does because she immediately goes home and the next puts morning, some clothes yeah. on. The next morning, she's sitting there cooking and she's eggs making for breakfast for her daughter, something that she doesn't do. Because yeah, one of the Sarah's first, like, who the fuck are you? Well, right, because one of the first, the first time we meet Sarah, she is with Officer Albrecht, uh, and she's trying to swindle him out of a hot dog. Yep. Uh, you know, they have that type of relationship. Yeah. You, know? like, so, you hungry? Buying? You buying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, I don't know. I think I think it actually lasts longer than eight hours because I'm thinking like she. Yeah, because she. Was, I don't was think like, it's shown chronologically. I don't know, because she's out the, that night, and then she's, you know, up in the morning, and then it's like the next night and stuff. I don't know. I think it all takes place over one night, and like what we see is like, no, no, because you're right, because they mention. Like, I don't know. I I think it starts at like midnight. The night before Devil's Night or something. I don't... Not you de- get before 24 de- full hours. Yeah. that's. I think that's the idea. From like midnight like until, until sunrise. Halloween. Like sunrise on Halloween. Because when we see... So, okay. Yeah. When so we it's see probably, Shelley, Yeah. So it's probably from like 36 hours. To, well, it's probably midnight to midnight. Well, no. So Devil's Night into Halloween. It's sunrise when... After he defeats Top Dollar and we see Shelly. Mm-hmm. Sun yeah, is up. Yeah. It, it, the sun comes up. That's right. That's where she comes in. So I think it's it's not explained. It's really not explained, but there is clearly two during the day parts because there's the night and then like Tintin is killed. And then we see Albrecht the next day at work at the police station. Mm. Or maybe then the following contributing to the poetry. Yeah, we don't know exactly how it all goes. um, I've been trying uh, to figure it out for years. I can't figure it out. When he succeeds and Shelley comes for him, yeah, it's just Maybe. not. You know what I, I mean? Like, like it's not, it may not be daylight because you really everyone, don't but it's see for him. the daytime. You you see, but you see that sunrise. Right. But again, it's not. That's not what the story is about. It's not like well, you only have this no, time. No, like this I, time. I think it's not like way the too Sanderson much into sisters some of the with a black flame candle. 
Yeah, with the black flame candle and the the, the yeah. lights on the truck. <laughs> the UV lights on the truck. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But no, I know. I, <laughs> it's I've been tra- trying to figure it out for years, and I can't. Yeah, it's one of those like, so what the hell is it? Yeah, but it's like, it's not important to the story. Why are you focusing on this? I, it's like me focusing on the the friggin' uh, which organs did yeah. he get stabbed in? Right. It's it's, it's not, like yeah, it's in the movie, but. Uh, Remember how sometimes we have to, uh, like you just mentioned it the last. Suspension of disbelief. Yes, you mentioned it last episode <laughs> when we were talking about science. Um, you know, the. But no, you're. Suspension. Dispension? Dis- suspension. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, good. That's my sword for today. Well, I already had one just earlier, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, a, a, a for esophagus. Esophagus. Oh, I would good. Anyway, so there's also, I mean, this character is great, but there's also a lot of sadness that comes with this character because as probably everybody knows, Brandon Lee actually passed because of shooting this film. Yeah. And the, that's not something that I want to dwell on. I just... You no, know, it, there's a the lot... The gun mal- malfunctioned and he was killed. Like, there's a couple of different... I've heard the gun malfunctioned and fired the blank and I've heard... But... I was just... There's a I lot of just, speculation about yeah. it, too. Yeah, I've heard, a, I've heard a few different stories. The original yeah. one was that that it, they weren't blanks, that they were actual... Um, Gun like a live bullets. bullets, yeah, live yeah. bullets that were loaded in there by accident. It's awful. Which doesn't make sense because how would live bullets have gotten onto a movie right, set? Well, right. Um, the, yeah, there's but there's a lot of speculation around it. But ultimately, it was re, uh, it was deemed an accident. Yeah, and, and the film is dedicated uh, to him, right? But there are also um, they they changed the prop gun laws mm-hmm. because um, of this because of. Because of this, but that's that's not where I was trying to go well, with what I was. I saying. did want to touch um, on one thing real quick about this. I know, I know, it's just real quick. But there were a, at the time that it happened. I remember this. There were a lot of uh, people who were speculating that it's because his family is cursed mm-hmm. because uh, his father used to have dreams about this, and his father. If, for people who don't know, uh, Brandon Lee's father is Bruce Lee. Like that, Bruce. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for people who didn't know, um, and there were some, uh, there were some rumors at the time that you know it's because his, that whole family line is cursed. But that's a story for another day. Right. You uh, you had something you wanted to say. Well, I was just going to say that this was such a great character. That uh, I I completely lost my my train of of thought. So thank you for that. Um, no, this was just such a great character, and it's sad that we lost such an amazing actor uh, because of it. But the legacy that this character has, and I'm not talking about the, the different sequels and all of the other not so great movies. I'm just talking about you know, the cult following that this movie has and how great of a presence he brought to this character. Um, you know, it definitely wasn't in vain. And mm-hmm. I think you can tell through his acting that he 
was very passionate about this character and portraying it in a certain way and bringing certain elements to this mm. character. And because apparently at, at one point um, it was going to be like a musical with Michael Jackson. Oh, Lord, no. And I then, could see that. And oh. then um, yeah. uh, the director, oh, Proyas, uh, signed up and then Brandon Lee was casted and it started to take a more like develop a more serious tone. And ultimately we, we get the crow Which that would we have be today. In keeping with the comic, the source material. Um, you know, so there's there's that, but um, he's this character has such a a legacy. Like, how many people hold like a special place in their heart for this character? And yeah, and mm-hmm. we saw that when we talked about the fact that we were going to be covering this character. And I do want to briefly touch on why we decided to pick Eric Draven. Yes. So. There's a band that Ashes and I have recently really gotten into called Ice Nine Kills. Uh, they are named after a fictional material from the Kurt Vonnegut book, Cat's uh, Cradle. And they're Ice actually Nine. from Boston. so Yes, they're local boys. And they do a lot of horror-themed music. Um, their most recent track off their upcoming album, The Silver Scream, is called Grave Mistake. And it's literally the story of this film. And it's awesome. And we're listening to it and we're like, because you can kind of guess what they're, what the, the, what specific movie they're talking about in their, uh, either in their lyrics or in the song title. And so we're listening to it, trying to guess. And Ashes is just like, The Crow. And I'm like, that should be the other show that we do. That should be we should cover Eric Draven. She's like, oh my god, yes, because we were talking about like trying to get into Halloween a little early, you know, maximize our time with Halloween. Uh, if you've not heard of these guys, uh, look them up. We'll post some of their videos. It um, will especially post this one. Right. Yeah. There's no video out yet, but obviously the song was dropped a couple of a weeks ago, and like just to give you some of the lyrics. So the chorus is, but I heard that you reap what you sow. So around and around we go. And when you see my face, you'll know you can't save yourself or save your soul. When you meet the man whose life you stole with weathered wings and broken bones, a flight for the fallen flies the crow. You can't save yourself. It's so good. Like, but like a, with killer, they're a, they're a rock passionate band. lyrics. Yes. Um, and they do. I like their music videos because they're they tell stories like they have a song uh, Hell in the Hallways which is about Carrie. There's uh, American Nightmare which is obviously Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank God it's Friday, Friday the 13th and there's all these like I don't want to say mythology but there's interconnected stories in between all of these uh, songs and their music videos and they're like huge horror fans. You can tell this. Um like there's one called Enjoy Your Slay, which is about the shining. And like there's lines like, you know, don't overlook, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, the overlook, mm-hmm. you know, and like if you need something like if you need help, just ax. <laughs> like there's just there's like a lot of those like little things where it's like this is absolutely fantastic. So 
that's what kind of got us into the crow and we're and that's how we were like man like i didn't realize what a huge following this has and we had to focus solely on the eric draven version from this film because i know there's a remake where there's another eric draven um and there are other films like the one with edward furlong yeah. yeah, which I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah but they're no. not Eric Draven. Not all, it's almost like uh, the they're crow like parallel stories. Well, the, it's like they're uh, other crows, right? They're other, the, the, the other, other si- situations. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like how you know s- multiple people have been Batman, and multiple people have been the Ghost Rider, and multiple and other characters. It's just like this mantle is being passed. It's like you know. This is your title more than your identity. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. it's just different stories of people coming back to uh, right wrongs. Yeah. Yeah. So do we have any uh, any final thoughts before we head to break? Because we've been going for a while. <laughs> um, there was one thing I wanted to say about... Horses? I took a lot of notes, but um, we didn't really get to a lot of this stuff. But... Um, the, uh, Turn the mic a little bit closer to you. Just move closer. But um, so there was one thing that always um, I always found interesting, and they had it on the VHS tape that I had, um, and then I have it on my DVD that I have now because um, I don't have a VHS player anymore. I do. Rest in peace. Um, but it's Brandon Lee's last on-screen interview. He paraphrases a quote from a novel um, that I always found. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but it's uh, I've always found it to be very, very interesting. Um, it's the novel The Sheltering Sky by Paul Bowles. I think you pronounce it that way. So it's because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well, and yet everything happens only a certain number of times. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood that is so deeply a part of your being you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more, perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20, and yet it all seems limitless. And I always thought that that was like... It was a week and a half before the accident on set happened, and I always thought that was really like, yeah, that's heartbreaking, that's, and like it's all the more tragic considering what happened. Yeah, and it was just him talking about how lucky he was to have been given the chance to play this role, and how he thought it was like so special and it which it is and we're lucky that he in in a way we're lucky that he was able to play the role but also not because well it's one of, of those happened but yeah it's one of know. those iconic roles that you can't imagine somebody else uh, no like he is forever immortalized right they've tried this they've yeah. tried to redo it like you even cast people who look like him and it's just it you, you can't, can't it's the on-screen presence, the charisma, the there's sometimes it's just magic. And and that was a star-making 
uh, performance from yes. him. He would have gone on to be a much bigger star than because oh, before absolutely. that he had done a lot of sort of kind of B level action movies. You know, nothing like the nothing one with uh, Lundgren there. Yeah, you to- uh, showdown in Little Tokyo. In Little Tokyo, yeah. Okay. So he's he's done a, he did a bunch of stuff like that, but uh, this was by far the biggest film, and and that was like a a star making performance, and he would have gone on. Who knows what he would have done, right? Yeah, I mean, like we might have seen him as, you know, the Joker or something. He could have been a, the next action star. You know, I don't I mean, know about he, the Joker, but yeah, I could see him <laughs> as the Joker. Are you Even. kidding me? No, I think just he's, because a guy wears makeup doesn't yeah. mean that he needs to be the Joker. Okay, <laughs> he would have been way better than Jared Leto. Um, but I mean, it's as sad as it is. It's. You know, only fitting that, you know, when I think 28. of the, yeah. yes, 28. Um, you know, when I think of the crow, I, I think of Brandon Lee. Yeah, me too. You, you can't know? think of anybody else because, you know, exactly. And I think that, you know, there's there's a reason why it hasn't been remade yet. And I mean, and there are, um, you know, rumors and stuff that the set of, of the crow was cursed and it any any remake was. attempt is cursed already you know doomed before it even begins um it's like the defense against dark arts job at hogwarts (laughs) yeah um uh, or drummer for spinal tap yeah yeah um but yeah i I just he will forever be synonymous with yeah as as iconic last performances go like unfortunately like Again. I mean, you can always sit there and you can think about what could have been, but man, are we grateful for what was. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Definitely. I think that's a good stopping point. I don't think we're going to top that. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our new battle, our preview for next week. Very excited about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we have some more more stuff to tell you. And uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the WizKid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast... 
Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly Review Show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. back i hate to talk over this stuff but we're running uh rather long today so one uh, real quick little fact is yeah, yeah. this was originally done by joy division and the music that james obar sort of had in mind for the comic book was more of sort of like that new wave 80s sort of stuff like joy division so it was cool that a uh, you know that at the time nine inch nails were a very popular band and they covered a song that was sort of inspired that inspired the crow, you know. Yeah, that's definitely a cool little tidbit there. Um, so yeah, that we we went long, but we could have kept going easily because I know you guys had a ton of notes that you didn't even touch on. But I mean, that seems to happen like every show. We take a ton of notes, and but I think we really got to the emotion of this character. I hope so. I just hope that like people aren't disappointed. No, I think they understand that, you know, it's going to mean different things for different people. And I mean, I'm I'm with you. I hope we captured the essence of the character. Um, I don't think any, anything short of like seeing the the film and forming your own opinions is going to really do it justice. Um, but I will say that uh, if you haven't seen this film, definitely watch it. It's going to be everywhere throughout Ashtober, so <laughs> make sure you uh, you get a chance. And uh, you know, if you have any strong feelings that you know we didn't touch on, let us know. Yeah, and if you happen to know some fun facts that we don't, you know, definitely hit us up on the Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Yep. Or- uh, you can hit us on, on at Patrick Rahal at Miss Von Nightmare on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. I'm at Patrick Rahal Twitter and Instagram. You can also the show uh, TD Thursday Pod on Twitter, Throwdown Thir- Thursday Podcast on Instagram, and Throwdown Thursday Podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts. Uh, obviously, the Facebook group as well. But uh, we do have. Uh, uh, we do have some uh, some stuff to get to before we get to uh, our battle. Or did you want to do the new battle first? We can do the battle first. You want to do the battle first? Yeah. Uh, we do have a new theme that is uh, in the works. Uh, it's not finalized and ready for the show yet because I haven't gotten it to Wolfie because uh, I'm bad at that. But we should have <laughs> we it will for... Debuting in October. Yes. Ashtober. Wow, you forgot what Ashtober is? Oh my God. You didn't look at your calendar. <laughs> oh, my God. So, our battle this week is 
a battle, uh, not so much between these characters, but um, who you would prefer. So, Ashes, why don't you go over uh, the parameters of the battle? Okay, so this is our Spirit of Vengeance showdown. So it's not so much who would win, but who would you rather have avenge you in your untimely death? Hmm. Is it Eric Draven from The Crow, Ghost Rider, or Spawn? And this could be any Ghost Rider. I just want to throw that out there. If you like Johnny Blaze better than Dan Ketch, whatever, that's, that's all up to you. If you want it to be the Nicolas Cage version. Excuse me, Academy Award winner, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, my mistake. I usually say that. Academy Award winner, Nicolas Cage. So uh, it can be any one of those. So let us know what you, what you think. But... Uh, I think we have time for super quick science and wine. Yeah, let's just spit them out. All right. So <clears throat> uh, we don't need any theme music, Wolfie, so don't worry about that. We're just going to do this real quick. So uh, everybody knows that you have five senses. Everybody, Well, there's a debate on how many senses you actually have. You know, sense of balance, sense of style, you know, sense <laughs> of humor, et cetera, morality. Okay. Uh, but... What you were taught in school is that on your tongue, you have taste buds that can do sweet and sour and salty. And that's pretty much it. Or not salty, bitter. But you have uh, five different spots. There's the sweet, the sour, the salty, and the bitter. Uh, but there's also umami, which is the taste of amino acids. And I chose that because we... All three of us work at the Science Factory, and we work with a lot of amino acids. It's called what? Umami. U-M-A-M-I. It's savory. So, like, sweet is, like, energy-rich nutrients. You know, candy, sugar, salty. Obviously, you know what salty is. Sour, you know, taste of acids. You know, lemons, grapefruit. Bitter, you know, like chives or something like that. You know, stuff that's just... Like black licorice, like yeah. stuff that when you eat it, you're kind of you almost have the same reactions when you eat something really sour. But umami is like meat broth or aged cheese is a good example. Yeah. Savory. Yes. A descriptive way of saying it. Yeah. That's so, yeah. such a cute word. Isn't it? Yeah. Umami. It's a Japanese word, I think. Yes. Yeah. Not to be confused with umagi, which I believe is eel. I might be wrong. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, that's uh, the quick science fact for today. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a really cute word. <laughs> so, as I mentioned before, we went on vacation to Cape Cod, our annual pilgrimage, and we I drank stuff. No, we didn't see any sharks. Such a bummer. Or pilgrims. Or pilgrims, no. Um, <laughs> but we drank stuff, and we drank some really good stuff. We went to Truro Vineyards and South Hollow Spirits, both located in the same vicinity in Truro, yeah, Massachusetts. The same well, that's what I said, same vicinity. They're I'm just making <coughs> sure people aren't like, oh, the one's down the street from the other. It's the same. It's the, it's same located facility. In the vineyard. Yeah, it's location. the vineyard. And it's then lo- they- so 
the the same the property. Vineyard. Yes. Oh my god! Why do you do this to me? Anyways, I drank something that was delicious. Like really delicious. It was wine. Well, I mean, like it, it technically it was sort of kind of wine, but I'm not talking about wine. I'm talking about gin. Mm. Not just any gin. Rosé infused gin. Yum. Now, one thing I love about the South Hollow distillery is that being a smaller distillery, they make everything in small batches. So what you're going to get is quality ingredients, people who really take the time to just really craft a great, flavorful drink. And the Rosé Gin, so it's their Dry Line Gin, that's their brand, Um It's 35% California Grenache Rosé. So what you're getting is that kind of like that, that, that dryness of the gin, but you're also getting a sweetness of the rosé. And I was very intrigued when they, so this is their first batch and it's amazing. Um, it's thirty four ninety nine a bottle, which is a steal. It's totally worth it. Um, unfortunately, I, they do ship, but they're currently only shipping in Massachusetts. So I'm sorry for everyone else who lives other places. You'll just have to come visit me, and I will take you drinking. How fun would that be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Dry Line Cape Cod Rosé Gin. It was amazing. We had it on the rocks. And it's very it strong. So it's well, it's seventy proof. Yeah. So it's very strong. Thirty-five dollars a bottle, which is uh, pretty inexpensive for them. That. I know. I'm just saying that's because the rum I like to buy is yeah. So it's a bottle of forty-five. Gin. It's the uh, seven hundred and fifty mils, oh, wow. so it's roughly the same um, as all. a bottle of wine. It's not bad at all. So, but it's it's gin, and I'm it'll not get you drunk. I'm not too much of a um, a hard liquor person these days, especially straight up. I do the occasional cocktail, but drinking straight hard liquor is just something that I don't do so much out of my 20s. Um, but occasionally, like a nice liquor um, on the rocks, I do enjoy a whiskey every now and then. Um, I could see myself drinking a lot of this, so... Yeah, we're gonna, definitely going to get some more. Yeah, we're going to get, we're gonna get this. No, no, yeah. that's just going like, to stick a straw in it and <laughs> no. call it a day. No, no. But no, it was actually, it was very delightful. And um, it's pink, which makes it even better because it just matches my decor. Um, <laughs> but it was very, it's cool. It's very unique. Sounds and, great. you know, I know a lot of rosé products came out this year. They have the rosé Angry Orchard. They have which other... Is um, rosé infused cocktails and um, Frosé has you know had a moment last year and it carried over into this summer, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it was very uh, unexpectedly very good. So, all right, so uh, 
So we did the battle. We did our science. We did our wine. So all we have to do now is tell you what is coming up next week. And coming up next week, uh, and you're going to see this is a theme for the entire month of Ashtober. And this will be the first official Ashtober episode. Uh, we are going to be discussing the universal monsters throughout the entire month. Our first episode, we are going to be discussing Dracula. Yes. And we actually have several guests who are going to join us, including two first-timers. Uh, returning to us because uh, not only is he a huge fan of uh, Dracula... He actually has uh, a series of books about his own take on the vampire genre, and that is our good buddy Steve Van Sampson. So he will be joining us. I'm so excited. Uh, we will have two first-time guests. Uh, one of them, ironically, is Sam First of uh, Monsters Are Good Apparel, which we are huge fans of that, and if you've seen us, I have the Dracula shirt, which I will be wearing that night. Um, so we're going to be discussing that with him, and our our friend Maria Beth from Outright Geekery is going to join us as well, Ooh. because she is a hardcore uh, vampire person, and so we're going to be discussing Dracula. Not like, only like the... she's a vampire person, or she's a fan of vampires. Both. I'm just saying that probably both. They're our similarities like she can't see her reflection and she likes watching vampires. we're actually going to get into <laughs> why vampires like the science behind why vampires oh, can't see their reflection science boom bonus fact because it's not even going to be a science week but we're going to tell you anyways uh yes yeah, so we're going to be discussing not only dracula uh we're going to be discussing the impact dracula has had on other vampires throughout popular culture over the years. And, of course, we'll touch on the historical figure upon which he is based, uh, but mainly focusing on the universal depiction as well as the Bram Stoker uh, source material. And what, no Twilight? No. <laughs> oh, You'll sparkle kidding. enough for everyone. <laughs> oh. No, we, uh, we actually just picked up the audiobook for... Dracula, and uh, the reason I picked this version over uh, a less expensive version is that uh, Van Helsing is played by Tim Curry in this version. So, uh, in addition to Alan Cumming, uh, who is also in this, yeah, so, I'm, I'm not excited for that. At so, all. not at all. That's uh, that's that's, awesome. that's the episode. So, stay tuned though, because we're going to be looking for some audience participation on some of these universal monster things. So stay tuned. Uh, and I think with that being said, we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>